Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, Joe here. Today we have an update from an episode we did in April of last year. In season two, we talked to Samantha and her wife, Laura, for an episode called Suddenly Samantha. The two of them originally fell in love in college. They got married quickly and had four sons. Samantha was born a man, but always felt like something else. Always felt like a woman. And after 13 years of marriage, Samantha transitioned. When we spoke to Laura and Samantha, they were just navigating their new relationship as parents, partners, and wives. It was an episode about what it takes to stand by your partner as that person transitions into a new person, as they change. But relationships are complicated. Marriage is complicated. Last summer, the two women realized they both needed something different from one another. I spoke to Samantha this month about what it's like to go through a breakup with Laura and also what it's like for her to navigate her new life as a single lesbian woman. It's an interesting time in my life. Um, With Laura, I felt secure. You know, uh, transition is difficult. Being married is difficult. Raising children is difficult. All those things are difficult, but with her, I had a a partner. I wasn't alone. <laughs> and I think the feeling I, I feel right now more than anything is just sort of a feeling of being a little adrift in my life. I, I get to be myself. It's it's a wonderful gift to have this opportunity to, to live as my true identity and my true self. Um, but without the, the partner who I thought I was going to have, it's It's a big change. Um, You know, there's so much in life that you build with with somebody when you're in a relationship with them. It's more than just, you know, saving for retirement and things like that. It's the big plans and the big trips and all the things that you think you're going to do together with that person. And and when all that's taken away and and all that's no longer an option, it it leaves a giant hole in your heart. And, and I'm laughing because it's easier than crying right now. It's been a journey. You know, this, it's all been a journey. And I guess life is a journey, right? But um, I always hope for the best 
but prepares for the worst. And I think we talked about it in the original episode. We did. We did. Yeah. Now, I'll paraphrase a little bit, but, you know, from the beginning of this process, we, we both told each other we want to try as long as it works for us. And, and that, that went for both of us. That went for me and that went for her. And if our needs changed, if, if what we needed out of life was significantly different than what the other partner was able to provide, we would have that conversation. And over the summer, it, it got to that point where Laura needed something different than I could provide. And that's, you know, what, what I want to make clear more than anything here is that I don't fault Laura in, in any way for making that decision. Because, honestly, it's probable that I would have come to that same conclusion within a short amount of time. This is an extremely difficult process, finding yourself at this point in your life it puts a ton of weight on her. It put a ton of weight on her. It put a ton of weight on me. I will always be thankful of the support and love she showed me during my transition. It's something I, I can't repay to her, especially now um, with being separated. I'll, I'll never be able to repay the love and support that she gave to me during this process. And, and I, I feel bad about that. I, I, I wish I could. Um, because she was there. And she was unflinching and unfailing in her support of me. And I'll be forever grateful for that. But our needs evolved in, in many ways. And by the, the summer of 2019, it was it was time to have a very, very difficult conversation. It's tough to, to lose someone who you consider your soulmate, or at least lose that, that intimate connection with them. I mean, the, the reality of the situation is, although we are going through a divorce, we are two devoted parents with four children who need us. And for our differences, we are still united in our care of those children and, and in raising them together. So it's, <laughs> it's a different dynamic, to be sure. Um, we're, we're apart, but we will still be together forever. We, we have these boys. They're the most important things in our lives, and we will do everything in our power to make their lives as good as possible, just as we would have done before. See, Laura and Samantha met at the University of Arizona in 2003. Like we said earlier, they were so young. Babies. It's funny, you know, when you're, when you're 18, 19, you, you feel like you know everything. And you didn't know anything at all. <laughs> you know, regardless of the transition, I was still a different person before I came out. And, and Laura is a different person than she was when, when I met her oh so very long ago. People evolve, people change. It's just the nature of life. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm 
basically learning how to adult all over again. I've been in a relationship with Laura since I was in I was 19 years old. And so you never even really dated as a straight man either. No, um, you know, like barely in high school, a little bit in college. So, you know, the last time I dated, dating apps weren't a thing. <laughs> it's it's a whole new world and I'm trying to be safe, but I'm trying to get out there. It's it's scary. It's scary. And it's scary to think that, you know, with my experiences, with my history being being transgender, with the fact that I have disabled children, it's it's scary to think that maybe I'll never find anyone else who's willing to accept the experiences I've had in my life. It's a it's a tall order. Um, I'm trying not to focus too much on that. I'm trying to focus more on the opportunity that's out there. Um, but it's it's a lot. It, it seems like almost insurmountable at times. Um, but there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to explore. And I, I think my journey over the next year is is becoming me, independently becoming me. My my transition up to this point has been as a, a married woman with the support of a spouse. And now I'm on my own. So I, I really am, I think, at the, the precipice of the next stage of my journey. And, and that's a journey by myself. After our episode ran last year, a ton of couples reached out to Laura and Samantha to tell them they were inspired by their story. They're inspired by how they could manage to stay together through Samantha's transition. They reached out because they, they felt inspired by uh, Laura and my story. And I, I can't help but feel that I, I let them down in, in a way. That we let them down because our our marriage didn't make it. But, you know, I I know that's not true. We didn't let anybody down. We we tried. We did our best. And I I think the the takeaway here is that some relationships will survive transition. I I know many couples out there who are happy and have been happy for years, much longer than than Laura and I were able to make it through here. Uh, But some, some couples won't. And I think that the important takeaway here is that if there's a will, there's a way. And through communication, there there are couples that will make it. But on the other side, there are couples that will come to the conclusion that they're no longer compatible. And that's okay. It's okay to, to let it go. It's, it's tough. Um, you look at divorce statistics, right? Over half of marriage is in divorce. And and there's reasons for that. And and change is definitely one of them. So you you throw the normal change of growing up and growing older and starting to save for retirement and having children and dealing with medical bills. You throw a transition on top of that, it's a double whammy. And, And we really fought for it. We really did. Laura and Samantha's love story is no less beautiful because of the way that it's changed. And if you haven't already listened to it, I think you'll really enjoy it. Here's the original episode in its entirety. On the surface, Laura and her husband had a familiar love story. 
Boy Meets Girl in college. At marching band practice, actually. They bonded over a love of Weird Al Yankovic, started dating, fell in love, eventually got married and had four sons. But Laura's husband had been keeping a secret that entire time. See, Laura's husband was born a man, but always felt like something else. Always felt like a woman. Lying to Laura, living that lie, it took a toll. I almost made some really bad decisions. And I had actually developed a plan where instead of addressing the issues, I would end my life. I had a, a plan to basically hike into the Grand Canyon and not hike out. That voice. That's Laura's husband today. A totally different person from the one who walked into the Grand Canyon with plans to not walk out. Because that day changed everything. That was the day Laura's husband made the decision to finally transition. To become a woman named Samantha. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. This is Laura and Samantha's love story. It's been a little over two years since Laura's husband began to transition into a woman named Samantha. Samantha now goes by the pronouns she and her. In their memories together, memories that go back 15 years, both Laura and Samantha refer to Samantha by those pronouns even before her transition. Samantha has always been a woman, even when she was in the body of a man. So like I said, they met in marching band practice. I remember meeting you. Okay, well then I guess you should start. (laughs) It was 2003 at the University of Arizona. It was the end of the summer and band rehearsals had just started. This is Samantha. And there was a new trumpet player that I didn't know. Uh, It was her first year marching. And she, I can still see her actually. She was sitting over there on her trumpet case. (laughs) You remember that blue sports bra? (laughs) Yes. I do. (laughs) Uh, blue sports bra, workout shorts, and a big floppy hat. And I remember going over and introducing myself to her. One day, they ended up alone in Laura's car together. When we got into my car, there was music playing. And she instantly said, is that MacArthur Park? And I was very embarrassed. And I turned the volume down quickly. And I said, no, it's Jurassic Park by Weird Al. And she's like, oh, I love Weird Al. And so then she serenaded me with Weird Al songs. And it was an instant hit. I tried to find ways to hang out with you. So after those rehearsals, tried to grab you for dinner and spend as much time with you as possible. My parents came out to visit and she rode along with me to pick them up. And I think that was when we hugged goodnight, that was a little bit lingering hug and Mm -hmm. a lingering glance. It's like, oh, maybe there's something happening here. There was. (laughs) They dated for a little over a year before things got really serious. About six months before she actually proposed was when we went ring shopping together. And I knew that she'd bought the ring, but I didn't know where she was hiding it in our apartment. But I didn't go snooping because I didn't want to find it. 
Then one day they went for a hike at Patagonia Lake State Park. Laura didn't want to get her hopes up or anything. I thought for sure that it wasn't happening because she was just wearing a T-shirt and jeans. I'm like, there's nowhere she'd be hiding a ring box. You know, I'd be able to see it. And so then all of a sudden she pulls out of her pocket a ring wrapped up in cotton and tissues and tape (laughs) and pulls it out and proposes right there on the trail in one of our favorite spots by a really beautiful tree. And of course I said yes. (laughs) They were still in college. That's young. But they promised their parents they'd graduate, get jobs, do all the big, important things that parents want you to do. Then they planned to tie the knot in Tucson in 2006. It was a beautiful ceremony. It was. I can't remember much about what was being said by other people, but I remember looking at you. Same. And being happy. Smiling a lot. My face hurt. It was a heck of a party, too, though. It was. Everyone was drunk except for us. (laughs) We didn't really drink at all. We toasted. That was about it. And everybody else was drunk. But it was a great night. That was 12 years ago. Soon after the wedding, they had their first son, followed by three more. And during all of this time, Samantha knew that she wanted to be with Laura, that she loved Laura more than anyone in the entire world. But she didn't love herself. Let's back up a little and talk about that. The reality is, these feelings of being at unease in my body go back a long, long time. And I can remember being very young, four or five years old, and already at that point in time, knowing that something wasn't right, that I should have been born as a girl. And I can remember going to bed at night as a young child. I can remember just closing my eyes and just wishing, wishing that I would wake up as a girl. And those feelings followed me through my life. Growing up in the late 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there about being transgender. Samantha didn't even learn about what transgender meant until she was 13. And even then, it was a very negative connotation around it, which is daytime television and things like that. It seemed like transgender individuals were being presented in the media as people who were trying to deceive people, as people trying to lie to people. And I didn't feel like that was me. I didn't want to lie to anybody. I didn't want to deceive anybody. I just wanted to be who I was. But Laura had no idea. No one did. There were no hints. There were no real signs. There was one moment before the wedding where I actually called it off. And a big part of that was trying to come to terms with these feelings and these emotions. And Laura didn't know why. I just came to her and said, I needed time and space. And I assumed at that time that she was just struggling with the concept of marriage because she's from a divorced family. So I just assumed it was wrapped up in that. But in reality, it was struggling with who I was. Because I knew that if I went forward, once and for all, this would have to be put away. I'd have to be her husband. And not that that's a negative thing, but that would be my path in life. And I came back to her and said, I want you, and you want me, and and I want this. And then the wedding was back on. 
And I was just so stressed. I didn't really question it. I was just like, okay, we're back on. Let's go. <laughs> so I, I kind of didn't really want to know exactly why that had happened. But I didn't feel like it had anything to do with me. I could tell it was something outside of me. Samantha wanted to be with Laura. It was the idea of being a husband that absolutely terrified her. You know, I, I adore Laura. I love her with all my heart. And I wanted her. And I wanted her more than I wanted to deal with this issue that I had been facing. So when I made that decision to go forward with the wedding, I, I was choosing her over me, or at least that side of me. And I thought I could beat it. I thought I could continue to push it down and not let it consume my thoughts. And for a while, I was successful. And our entire relationship, the depression was up and down. It would come, it would go. It would come for a while and stay. It would go for a long time and stay away. I never really knew why. So I just tried to be supportive in any way that I could as she was dealing with it. But I never really understood the reasons behind it. And it turns out that that depression that Laura saw was me struggling with gender dysphoria, which for those who don't know, is that unease that some transgender people feel being in the wrong body. It's like being forced to write with your left hand when you're right-handed or being dropped off in a foreign country and expected to speak another language. That incongruency between who I was on the inside and who I was on the outside was destroying me. Those dysphoric episodes kept growing. They got longer, more consuming, Samantha basically lost all of 2016 to it. Almost the entire year, I was just a, a complete waste of humanity. I was so consumed. I was so sad. I could barely get up. I was afraid I was going to lose my job. And I was a, a very poor spouse and parent because I, I was just so sad. I couldn't just put this away anymore. It wasn't an option. But I was so afraid. And I knew that by coming to terms with all of this, I could lose everything. And I was so scared. And in that moment, I almost made some really bad decisions. And I had actually developed a plan where instead of addressing the issues, I would end my life. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. 
I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Samantha couldn't take it anymore. Couldn't take the stress of living a lie and living in a body that didn't feel like her own. She planned her death meticulously. They had this group of friends who regularly hiked in the Grand Canyon. I knew that it would provide me the opportunity that I needed to end my life. I had this plan where it would look like an accident. I would just go into the Colorado River and not come out. Their friends planned to hike the canyon rim to rim. Samantha told them she wasn't up for the whole hike. She said she joined them for the hike down and then break away from the group and hike down to the river. Once she was there, she knew she'd have the privacy to end her life. The idea was simple enough. But at the last minute, there was a small, seemingly insignificant change in the plans. At the last minute, one of her friends brought his wife. And their spouse wasn't in shape enough to do that full hike, and, and they asked, could they join me on my hike? And we talked about a lot of things in life and some of the struggles that I faced and the struggles that they faced. And it sort of opened my eyes to the, the situation. You, you know, it's <laughs> when they bring in the hostage negotiator to talk someone off the ledge, they never talk to him about the ledge. They talk to them about their life. <laughs> And this person doesn't even realize what they did for me. And I don't know if they realize it today. I've never told them. But what it came to was by the time I finally got to the river, it just didn't feel right. I, I couldn't go through with it. I came out of that canyon a different person than when I went in. Or maybe it was the person I was always supposed to be. And that was basically the beginning of the end. I knew that at that moment that I would have to tell Laura. I knew I wanted to live. And, and the reality is I never wanted to die. I, that, that wasn't my desire. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to burden other people with this. But I was reminded in that conversation just how important we all are to each other and how important I was to her and to my children and my family and friends. So after the canyon, I came home. I shaved my beard. <laughs> and started to open up. Samantha told Laura that she wanted to see a therapist. She did some research and gave her wife a list of potential doctors. She gave me three names. And so I Googled all three of them and noticed in their list of expertise, all three of them listed LGBT. And so my first thought was, no, that just has to be a coincidence. That can't be what's going on. Then I started mildly panicking. And I Googled looking for a quiz for is my husband transgender, which I'm here to tell you is not a very helpful Google search. Um, they don't really have quizzes for that. <laughs> and so I was just kind of thinking to myself, like, this is kind of like you don't you don't ask a lady if she's pregnant. Like, this isn't a question you can ask someone and be wrong. You know what I mean? And also just, you know, panicking and trying to reexamine every interaction we'd ever had over the previous, at that point, 14 years, 15 years. And so I was trying to figure out if this could possibly be it. Eventually, Laura had to say something. I said, okay, I have to ask you this. And I just knew that I was going to be wrong and then she was going to get insulted and even more hurt and upset. So 
I said, okay, I feel really weird asking you this, but I have to ask it. I said, I Googled all the therapists and she's just looking straight ahead. She won't even look at me. She's like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, I noticed they all have something in common. Uh Uh-huh. So they all listed LGBT. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I said, so do you think you could have a gender issue? And she said, maybe. So then my reaction in that moment was, don't freak out. Don't panic. Have the right reaction. Be supportive. Try to have a conversation here and figure out what this all means. And I think that I was probably eerily calm, if anything, that evening. But internally, I was completely freaking out. I remember my heart was racing out of my chest. My face kept doing this weird twitching thing. It was, I think, just shock. And so we were going to go out to dinner, but we ended up getting in and out and sitting in the car and eating burgers in the car instead and talking as long as we could. And then from that point, it started just a series of serious conversations where I tried to understand how long she'd been feeling this way, if she'd ever tried dressing up or experimented with anything like that. Before transitioning, I never tried on women's clothing or anything like that. I was too afraid to do it. I know a lot of people who do transition try that beforehand, but I mean, literally, I I had not tried anything on at that point. So it was brand new to me. I had no idea of where to even begin. Laura had so many questions. What this meant for our relationship, our marriage, if she was still attracted to me, um, you know, the list goes on and on. And just these endless conversations to try to figure out where we were both at with everything. And honestly, in the, the first week or so, I kind of found myself thinking, okay, so I guess I'm going to be a single mom now. And what does that look like? I've got four young kids and they have special needs. And how is that going to play out for me in my future? But Laura finally came to the conclusion that she didn't want to be a single mom. She didn't want to lose her husband. And so in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm going to give all of this a year and just see how I feel after a year because I can't predict how this is going to go. I mean, at that time, I literally could not picture her as a woman whatsoever. So I told her, I can't promise how I'm going to feel as each day progresses. But right now, I want to try to stay and figure this out with you. So that was all in the first probably two weeks. For me, the floodgates just sort of opened from repressing all of this for for so long. And I just remember for those first couple months, those first three months or so, every night we'd get the kids to bed and we'd just start talking. And we'd talk until midnight, one o'clock in the morning, every night to start working through some of what I was feeling and how she was feeling and What does this mean? How are we moving forward? And the funny thing is, it's almost like we were dating again. Those long, late-night conversations. And in a way, we kind of were. Because our entire relationship had been called to question. And I think we've been pretty clear with each other from the beginning that, you know, we only wanted to be here if we both wanted to be here. We had that conversation on multiple times where if, if either of us weren't happy, we kind of reserved the right that we could walk away, no hard feelings. And she told me from the beginning that she wouldn't blame me for going. She would completely understand. She said no one would blame me for going. This wasn't what I signed up for. I didn't have all the information when we got married. And that's all true. 
I do believe in my heart of hearts that she didn't enter into our marriage willingly intending to deceive me. I think that she really thought she could just control it and push it away. That is something that does still hurt, the fact that I was kept in the dark for so long. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's not. And not all spouses do stay, and not all spouses should stay. And that's okay. Yeah, I think we really had to build our relationship almost from the ground up again. I mean, even while everything else was absolute chaos in my life, just not having to carry that around was unbelievably freeing, even if it was just Laura that knew at the time. That was my only secret. <laughs> and being able to finally tell her was a was a huge relief. And I, I wish I could have told her when we first started dating. I wish I could have told her before we got married that this was something I was dealing with. And I don't know what would have happened if I told you then. I mean, there's no way of knowing. It's important to note here that gender and sexuality are not the same thing. Samantha was ready to transition into a woman, but her attraction to women wouldn't change. She was still very attracted to her wife. My attractions had always been towards other women. And I knew that in transition, that's still what I wanted. As far as I was concerned, even though I had come out to Laura through that conversation, I was afraid that she would leave. but. The reality is, she's still the only person I wanted in the world. But what did Laura want? How did Laura's sexuality come into play in this? Laura had always been attracted to men, and she married a man. I was curious about how she felt about being married to a woman and being intimate with a woman. That's a difficult question to answer quickly. Initially, it was hard to picture and imagine what it would be like. But as her transition progressed, I never found myself not attracted to her, which caused me to be introspective within myself and kind of examine my own sexuality. And I came to identify as pansexual, which means that you are attracted to people regardless of their gender. And that just seemed to fit because I knew that I still loved her and wanted to be with her and was attracted to her in that way. but. If something were ever to happen to the two of us, I wouldn't foresee myself seeking out dating women. So I think it's kind of situational, if that makes sense. I've actually used the phrase that I'm Samantha sexual <laughs> because I'm specifically attracted to and built for her. And I've always felt that way. Not carrying around her secret anymore changed Samantha. Yes, in obvious ways, but in some not so obvious ways too. After coming out, I felt amazing because to have to carry a secret like that for so long in your life was unbelievably freeing, even if it was just Laura that knew at the time. As you've seen in her very public Instagram posts, she's outgoing and she's a social butterfly. She was never like that before. She was basically a hermit. She would hang out with friends maybe once or twice a year, never posted on social media, maybe five or six times in a year, never took pictures, never selfies. I was her only friend. And so when we encounter people that we meet post-transition, they tell me I seem like the introverted one. And I'm just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> because I still don't even see her that way just because that's never been our roles. But I mean, it's true now. She is definitely the more outgoing and social one. And so that's still been a relearning process for us. It's kind of like being married to a brand new person after all these years in a lot of ways. 
I, I was really stunted before in my life and in my role as a spouse and parent. Being able to be myself has allowed me to open up in ways that I could never have expected. Just how much more outgoing I am and, and involved, it goes beyond just being outgoing in the world. It's, it's also in the house and being more involved as a parent and being more involved as a, as a spouse and, and being more engaged with the kids and more emotionally available. And that's been a really beautiful experience for me. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we'll start Samantha's transition. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. It was November of 2016 when Samantha told Laura about her plan to transition to being a woman. Finally coming to terms with being transgender and saying it out loud for the first time ever feels like such an accomplishment. You feel like you've finally gotten to the top of the mountain, right? You're finally there. <laughs> and then you realize that you actually need to move forward. And that's such a daunting task. Early on, they sat down together and came up with a proposed timeline for the transition. And then we might as well have set it on fire and thrown it out a window because we didn't really stick to it. But it was nice for me being so overwhelmed to just see a black and white list of this is what I'm expecting to do and in which order and approximately when. And it helped me kind of wrap my head around it a little bit too. And I'm a planner anyway in general. I like to know. What's the plan? What's the plan? So that helped me know where things were headed. It's tough to plan a transition out on paper up front. It's a very fluid process. It's something that changes on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think you do have to live it day-to-day. -day. It's nice to have kind of a general idea of when things are going to happen, but... Yeah, it happened a lot faster than originally planned. I think she's had the fastest transition of anyone I've ever encountered. <laughs> it went pretty quick. Yeah. To mark just how quick it all was, Samantha's Instagram is actually called Suddenly Samantha. She looks so different now. I've spent hours looking at her before and after pictures. The first step of the transition to change from male to female was hormone therapy. That meant a regimen of estrogen and a testosterone blocker. So it wasn't more than a month after that first conversation with the therapist that I actually had my prescription for the hormones. And I think that was a moment, right? A daunting moment in our relationship. Oh, yeah. The reality is for every milestone I hit in my own transition, that was a moment too where I was taking away part of who I was from, from Laura. 
But as far as the start of hormones, for me, there was a lot of emotion tied up in taking that first pill and fear of the unknown and what's going to happen. And like she alluded to, just the loss of the person that I originally fell in love with. But it turned out that when she took the first pill, it was just a pill. And it, do- it takes months for any noticeable changes anyway. So it was really more just symbolic than anything actually happening on that day. And I've been 100% on board with all of it because I knew that she needed it in order to live and live freely and be happy. And although every step has been hard for me and has been in a lot of ways a loss for me, or even to an extent, a bit of a grieving process, I'm still on board with it because I would never stand in the way of the person I love more than anything in the world having the opportunity to be happy. In addition to the hormones, Samantha has had five surgeries in two years to transition from being a man to a woman. And during those surgeries, I was out of commission for anywhere between a week to almost two months. And that put a huge burden on Laura to keep the house running and keep the kids going with school and and everything else while I was recovering. And I asked her to do that multiple times. And those stresses definitely tested our ability to keep this marriage in a good place. And along with that, too, each of those surgeries was a bit of a trauma for me. Just seeing her in so much pain, the loss of whatever thing was being surgically changed into something new, the fear of the unknown. Samantha and Laura's kids are all on the autism spectrum. One way they help communicate new and different things that are happening in their lives are these things called social stories. Social stories break down a new idea into simple parts, often incorporating pictures to help the kids understand something new. And so we wrote two different stories? I think it was two. Two. Because the baby, I mean, he was six months old. He'll never remember anything different. And then the other ones were six... Six, four, and two. So we wrote one story for the six-year-old. He's very bright, very verbal, and he's already able to read at that point. So his story was just text. And in that story, we explained to him that she had always felt like a girl on the inside, and she was going to be using a new name and new pronouns. And we got his input on the name, which was kind of a whole other story. But we did get his input on it, so he felt like he was helping decide. and. We specifically said, Mama's still going to do all your favorite things with you, like chase you and tickle you and build Legos with you. And about two or three days later, we were putting him to bed and he's just distraught. He's in tears. And we're asking him, what's going on? Why are you upset? And he said, Mama hasn't chased me yet. And because he thinks very black and white, it was in the story. And we said she was going to do it and she hadn't done it yet. So something must be wrong. And so, of course, she tossed him out of bed and chased him around for 10 minutes and tickle attacked him and then he felt better about it. And not to say that as he gets older, he won't have questions and struggle with different aspects of this transition. But as much as any six-year-old can wrap their head around it, he did. And within two to three weeks, he was using the right name, the right pronouns, 100%. He jumps to her defense. If anyone uses the wrong one and has a slip up, he'll immediately correct them. So he's been really great. Uh, For the younger two... Like I said at the time, they were four and two. The four-year-old is still nonverbal. The two-year-old at this point, he's limited verbal. And so that story had to be a little bit different. So it incorporated a lot of pictures, the same concepts, but just simpler terms and a little bit less verbiage. So now that the kids were on board, things seemed to be going smoothly. 
but sometimes it's the small things that can become sticking points. One of the things that was really hard for Laura that she didn't expect was sharing the title of mom. Because my initial reaction with all of this was, I'm mom, mommy, all variations of mom and mother. That's me. I'm not sharing. That's my title. I carried these babies. I gave birth to them. I nursed them. That's my title. And her initial reaction was completely supportive of that. I could see how much it hurt Laura to have to consider sharing the title that she rightfully earned. And so we kind of went back and forth for a month or two with some alternatives. Some people in our situations, they go by a name Maddie, which is a combination of mom and daddy. Some people just use their first name. Some people choose mother from a different language. They initially settled on an alternative name. But I could tell she wasn't really jazzed about it. And so I kind of called her out on it one night. And I said, so what's the deal? What are you really thinking? And she told me that she wanted to be a variation on mom. And my initial reaction was to be very upset and very hurt because I said this was my territory and I'm not sharing. But then she started to explain that in a situation like ours, if one person is called mom and the other person is called Samantha or is called some variation or nickname, they would not necessarily be seen as a part of the family unit. They would be seen potentially as a step-parent. She's definitely their parent. She's been there from day one. And so once I kind of had that perspective, I said, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there are some people that transition and they're, they're perfectly fine using the title daddy. I couldn't use that title. That was a title I just did not feel comfortable with. So I, I really needed to be a mom in the eyes of my kids. I, I don't mean to sound greedy or selfish, but if it wasn't going to be mom or some variation of that, I would have rather have just been Samantha to the kids. It's, it's impersonal. It's, it would have hurt to, to have to give up that title, but it would have been better than having to keep the old one or try to invent a new word to describe what I was. I still sat on it for probably another month or so before I finally said, okay, I'll keep mommy and you can be mama and we'll let our oldest decide how he wants us to spell it. So that was his decision-making portion of it. So he picked M-A-M-A. But that was, that was probably one of the bigger points of contention for me was what the kids were going to call her. It was hard. I remember using this analogy a lot when we first started you know, let's let's always move forward. Let's always break bigger issues down into smaller pieces, get through those smaller pieces. Once we solve something, once we come to an answer and we're agreed on both sides, move it out of the way, move on to the next thing. Just keep knocking things out. Try not to fall back. Try not to get stuck in the weeds. And with the mom and the title conversation, it's something that really had to be broken down into very small chunks and really thought about multiple times. In some ways, a lot of the hard parts are over. Laura and Samantha are finally beyond the medical portion of the transition. Samantha has come out to everyone in their lives. But in a lot of other ways, they're just starting to rebuild their marriage. There's no more surgeries on schedule, and, and things have finally been allowed to get back to normal. But we spent so long in that mode of surgery recovery, surgery recovery, that I think we lost a little bit of our own cadence in life. And we've been working on that. We've been working to make sure to make time for ourselves. And again, with four kids, it's a very busy house. 
With four special needs kids, it's even busier. It's harder for us to get away. So we've been working really hard to make sure that we do get time to ourselves and we are allowed to talk to each other and, and have those date nights and go be wives somewhere outside of our living room or kitchen for a couple hours every week. Exactly a year after Samantha walked out of the Grand Canyon ready to completely change her life, Laura proposed at the Grand Canyon. They had a vow renewal on their 12th anniversary. Same venue, same photographer. Laura even wore the same dress. The difference was that this time, Samantha got to wear one too. Because I know initially in the transition, I had this sort of gut reaction like, well, if you're going to be a wife now, then I expect you to step up and do X, Y, Z, whether it was more laundry or cooking or cleaning or dishes or whatever it was, those kind of more stereotypically wife duties. And the reality is, in our relationship, she's the career mom and I'm the at-home mom. And that's what our roles always were, just hers was the other gender before. This hasn't been easy by any stretch, and I don't want it to come across that way, but it has been worth it. And like I said earlier, I don't think everyone can stay, and I don't think everyone should stay. But just try to give it your best, whatever that looks like, and just try to be kind to each other no matter how it turns out. I think that's the big thing, right? Yeah. one last question. Samantha, could you have done this without Laura? Yes, I I could have done this without her. Could I have been as successful? Could I have been as happy as I am now without her? No. Her support, her unwavering commitment to me through this process has been absolutely incredible. When you're recovering from a major surgery and you can barely even lift yourself out of bed, and you, you have someone there who loves you unconditionally as you're basically in pieces, what, what can you even say to that? Her love for me has been absolutely incredible. And when I say her love for me, I mean, you know, before transitioning and, and since transitioning. So sure, I could have transitioned, but I'm a better person because of her. And it's so exciting to be on the other side of transition now and still have her by my side and all the amazing things that are still yet to come. I'm just, I'm so excited for what the future will bring. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. A special thanks to Samantha and Laura Filoso. It was produced and edited by Ramsey Yunt, with live sound recording by Sarah Ventry. Mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at 
joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's new book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. If you or someone you know is trans or questioning an experiencing crisis, or if you just need to talk, please call Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860. That's 877-565-8860. Or go visit translifeline.org. That's translifeline.org. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.